Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 277. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week, where I get to also be joined by Blueprint MCAT, one of their amazing live online instructors. If you haven't checked out what the live online course is, go check it out at blueprintmcat.com. 16 classes with two Blueprint MCAT. <laughs> mentioned their top scores on the MCAT and they can teach. That's the one thing I love about Blueprint MCAT is they make sure that not only did they score well, but they can also teach the material. I had a terrible, terrible teacher back, way back in the day when I was studying for the MCAT. Uh, he was a very, very smart, bright person who scored very well in the MCAT, but couldn't teach worth a lick. But Blueprint MCAT makes sure that their instructors can. Go check out Blueprint MCAT in their live online course. Go hang out with two Blueprint instructors over 16 courses, along with all the amazing content that you get to learn what you need to learn. Also, what we're covering today, the Blueprint MCAT Diagnostic, half-length diagnostic that you get for free by signing up for a free Blueprint MCAT account over at blueprintmcat.com. Let's go and jump in. George, welcome back to the MCAT podcast. Are you ready to dive into Blueprint MCAT Diagnostic BioBioChem Passage 2 today? I'm so ready. I honestly, I love the BioBioChem section. This is like my bread and butter, so I'm excited to get into it. Why is BioBioChem bread and butter? Now, obviously, super high test score. You're a yeah. Blueprint Live <laughs> Online instructor. So you obviously mastered the MCAT in one way or another. But why BioBioChem as bread and butter for you? I think the same thing with like ChemFizz in some ways. It's that I always felt in cars, like I had to read very carefully and like notice keywords and look at transitions and figure out these big convoluted passages. Whereas in the sciences, it's like, again, it's like this idea of approach. I usually glanced at the passages like I would read them, but I wouldn't read them nearly as intently. I would note certain like MCAT testable content. I would note certain relationships. If something increased this or decreased that, I would note maybe certain variables that are mentioned. And I glanced at like the figures and tables just to know what's in it. Right. But at the same time, you're only ever marked on the questions that they ask you about. You don't need to know every little nitty gritty detail about these science sections. It's only the questions that they ask you. So if you have kind of a structural idea of what's being presented in each of these bio and like chemistry passages, all you got to do is look at the question, go back, identify if you need a specific detail, or a lot of the questions are actually like pseudo discretes, which are like very fine bits of content knowledge that they very like minusculely relate, like relate back to the passage as in they'll mention, okay, like they mentioned a protein in the passage and they're like, this property of proteins is such and such. Like it's, it's a, it's a discrete question. It's just a yeah. content nugget, you know? So, um, 
that's why I love it. Like, I feel like it's very logical, at least for my brain. I thought cars was less logical for my brain, but it took some time and strategy to get there. And just, I've always loved the sciences and kind of the scientific process and like figure analysis. So it was something that really stuck with me. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So for everyone watching, listening, Blueprint MCAT Diagnostic. Everyone gets for free. BlueprintMCAT.com. Sign up for a free account. That's what we've been breaking down here over the last several months, and we're going to continue to do so right now. So, George, uh, as we jump in here, go ahead and read the passage, uh, and then discuss how you're going to break it down as you would kind of instruct your students to break it down in a, in a Blueprint course. Of course, of course, happy to. So I guess starting with the first paragraph, we'll go paragraph by paragraph, maybe look at like the figure as well. But um, yeah, let's get into it. So giardiasis, or giardiasis, right? MCAT doesn't mark your, your pronunciation. Giardiasis caused by the intestinal flagellant protozoa, giardia lamnia, is a common intestinal disease. Giardia are unique in their possession of two nuclei that are similar in appearance, DNA content and transcription. Usually, G. lamnia are transmitted by contaminated water with cysts. G. lamnia have seven complex genotypes, but only two genotypes cause human infections. The illness is transmitted by differentiation into infective cysts. Three known cyst wall proteins, CWPs, are highly synthesized in a concerted manner during differentiation into cysts. So looking at this first paragraph, we always ask the class, you know, like, what are you kind of locking into? What, what are we setting up? What are we going to talk about? And so the big thing that we kind of zone in, okay, we're talking about a certain disease in a certain organism. In terms of highlighting, you might highlight giardia, like giardiasis or like giardia lamnia. doesn't really matter, but just orient yourself to what we're talking about. Something that I really zone into here, though, is like possession of two nuclei. I feel like a lot of genetics questions might come down to maybe like ploidy or, you know, chromosomes. So Giardia are unique in their possession of two nuclei. I would highlight that. And then this idea of different um, cyst types, right? So there's, there's seven genotypes. We have different cysts. So I want to zone in first on this idea of cysts. So transmitted by cysts and then different genotypes. So again, two genotypes specifically cause infection. Maybe we need to highlight, maybe we don't, but we just keep in mind there are different genotypes and specifically it's the cyst forms that uh, two genotypes that lead to these cyst forms that lead to human infections. I also really like to highlight things that have been abbreviated because they're likely going to be mentioned over and over and over. And so in this case, those cyst wall proteins, those CWPs, I might highlight that just to, just to orient myself so that if I see that abbreviation, I'm like, oh, like this is what they're talking about. Amazing. Any questions about like paragraph one here? Nope. Nope. Amazing. So let's dive into paragraph two, right? So encystation specific vesicles, ESVs, give the organism the ability to modify or partition cyst wall cargo during secondary transport. These organelles aid the accumulation and maturation of cyst wall material, CWM, composed of at least three cyst wall proteins, CWP1, two and three. So CWP one through three complexed with beta one, three N acetyl D galactosamine polymer. It's a mouthful. <laughs> CWM protein is eventually deposited in the plasma membrane of the host's intestinal wall. Trafficking of mature CWM from ESVs to the cell surface where it forms the cyst wall is rapid. During cyst formation, a round of DNA replication occurs, then nuclear replication takes place with the DNA divided equally among the resulting four nuclei, followed by a second round of DNA replication. 
So we get a lot of information here. Again, still a little bit more background. I might highlight ESVs. Uh, I see like CWM, just keeping track of new things that are being introduced to. Um, we have this idea of polymer. It's a big, ugly thing. I don't know if I would spend too much time there, but we do get this idea of cyst formation. There's a lot of details about like replication, maybe nuclear division. I'm not going to pay too much attention to it right now. Again, I'm only going to focus on it if they ask me a question, but I might highlight cyst formation just to know that if I do need to come back, I know where to find it. So cyst formation. Now, in terms of the actual figure, uh, here we see, you know, figure one, regulation of CWP abundance within two hour transitions during the 14 insistation time course. Again, I'm looking at this. I wouldn't spend too long on this figure. Again, the idea is let me get a feel of what the figure is showing me. I'm only going to come back to it if I really need it. So I see I'm looking at my variables. I'm looking at my axes. I see, you know, HPIE, interesting percentage of proteins. Somehow it's related. We're looking at some up, down, not changed in my legend. If I need to draw relationships, maybe I'll come back to this figure. But just giving a broad sense of what it might include. Now for the final paragraph, coming down, right? At any given time throughout the parasite's lifespan, only one CWP gene is expressed. During an infection, however, the particular CWP gene that is transcribed regularly alternates in a process termed antigenic variation. Both expressed and silent CWP genes are located in the nuclear periphery, but in different specific regions. In expressed CWP genes, promoter histone H4 is acetylated on arginine 6 and trimethylated on arginine 2. In contrast, silent CWP genes include a trimethylated histone 4, um, histone H4 at arginine 6, during the homologous recombination in cyst nuclei, type 2 topoisomerases assist in chromosome replication and tissue development for Giardia differentiation into dormant cysts. In addition, the level of cyst formation and the CWP1 through 3 gene expression are increased by topo2 uh, overexpression. <laughs> Again, a lot more going on here, right? So now we're getting an idea of this lifespan. I would say the big thing that I'm locking into here is, again, we're thinking MCAT testable content. Expression, very testable, right? Do we need to know specifics about a parasite's lifespan? Maybe not, but only one CWP gene is expressed at a time. I'm going to keep in mind, uh, keep that in mind, right? I might highlight that. Um, I want to zone in on this infection stage. So I might inf highlight infection and I might highlight regularly alternates. This idea that that gene, even though one is transcribed at once, we regularly flip-flop. Interesting. And uh, just noting these relationships. And then for the expressed genes, we get later this contrast between the expressed and non-expressed. I might just highlight expressed versus silent. So the expressed um, and silent genes, just to get an idea of if I need to come back, I I can look for those differences. I know it probably has something to do with acetylation or, um, you know, methylation. We'll look at the specifics. And we're also introduced to this new enzyme, type 2 topoisomerases. If I need to come back to the function, I'll look at that as well. But that's really, again, kind of the structural basis of how I'd approach this, this passage. And if I need anything, if a question asks me about it, I, I know exactly where to go back and look for it. So... Let's talk about the student who gets to the end and is mm -hmm. like, what the heck did I just read? Yeah. Um, how is someone supposed to have the confidence that they can move forward to the questions if they have zero clue what they just read? Absolutely. Not, so not speaking from experience of like 
because because <laughs> I understood this 100%. Right. But <laughs> for sure, there's like, there are going to be words, there's going to be new things. And this is what I mentioned in like the previous episode of the MCAT is good at dressing things up, core concepts into big, ugly new scenarios, right? You're not expected to know anything about GR diocese. You're not expected to know anything about G. Lamlia specifically, right? But they're going to bring in this novel organism to throw you off. They're going to give you, quite frankly, that figure is not like a regular figure that I see often. It's kind of like some sort of weird bard graph looking weird thing, right? They're putting these things in to throw you off. So when you're reading Look for those transition words over like contrast, right? The one contrast I mentioned was the expressed versus silent. If you go in with kind of a, a structural approach, you can remember where key details are so that if you do need to refer to them, you know where they are, right? If a question doesn't ask you about it, there's no points. There's no value in figuring out all the specific details and understanding it. If they don't give you points for it, you don't need to know it. So in this case, look for what you do know. There's a lot of core concepts like expression, you know, DNA, proteins, you know, how pathways interact. There's a lot of that fits in here. Um, and then relate it back to your core concepts. We might be asked things about expression. We might be asked things about central dogma. Start to anticipate some of the questions you might be asked. And that way you have the confidence that even if you don't understand 100% what's going on, you're not expected to. All you need to know is the same core elements that you've been studying for in your MCAT. And that's enough learning the next step to apply it is something that we'll talk about like and and you'll see in our practice. Okay. All right. So we get to the question uh and I'll I'll read the question this first question here uh and the answers and we'll, we'll see if we can get to where we need to go. Yeah. So what is the expected uh, expected ploidy of a cyst that has completed an encestation? Mm. 2n, 4n, 8n or 16n? N and I'm like, okay, where did we talk about two N, four N, eight N? Uh I, I don't know, other than like, well, potentially if if I don't know anything, is N like uh nucleus, like nuclei? So I go up here to something we highlighted, two nuclei. Mm -hmm. Okay, so is that is that I'm, I'm gonna say this is 2n this got to be 2n that's the only thing i see with numbers here um and then we go to incestation and i'm like okay well we talk about that here mm -hmm. uh and then the only thing i could find here right during cyst formation mm -hmm. uh we go through dna replication i'm like okay mm -hmm. dna replication does that double the number of nuclei do we now have four is that 4n so I want to jump to 4N, but then I'm like, okay, wait, there's more here. Uh, nuclear replication takes place. Um, so DNA replication, nuclear replication, or maybe the nuclear replication is only when it duplicates. And now we're at 4N. DNA divided equally among the resulting four nuclei. Oh, it tells me I have four. Okay, so uh, followed by a second round of DNA replication. Okay, so do I now have eight? So four <laughs> times two is eight. Uh, so I don't even know if I'm in the right place, but but it seems like that's where I'm at. And I think I'm between eight, 16, potentially, maybe, if I don't know exactly what these numbers are in terms of replication, then nuclear replication, then DNA. So I don't know. I, I'm going to go with eight because it seems like it's telling me there were four and then there's another replication. Mm, mm. And so, so four I, and four is eight. 
I really like your thought process. <laughs> and I think the one thing here is that there is a couple of content nuggets that you do need to bring into this question. When we talk about ploidy, ploidy refers to like the number of nuclei. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like the number of sets, sorry, ploidy refers to the number of sets of chromosomes. So if we say 2N, this means a diploid organism. That's just like me and you, eukaryotes, right? We would have two sets of chromosome, one from mom, one from dad. Mm. So when we have this idea of incestation, just like you said, using our highlights, we zone into cyst formation. I'm going to challenge you that if I tell you that protozoa, so the organisms that we see here, Giardia, it's a protozoa. It has, it's a diploid organism. If it's a diploid organism, that means um, it has two chromosomes, two sets of chromosomes per nuclei. Mm. We're also told in the passage that Giardia are unique because they start regularly with two nuclei. Mm-hmm. If I give you these content nuggets, would you be willing to, to try and talk through the, the process again to see if you can get the answer? I'm so, not going to tell you if you got it right or wrong. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just uh, So two nuclei, both mm-hmm. uh, with chromosomes. So that would be four N to start with. Um, f- four nuclei, 2n each is 8 and then if i double that then i'm at 16 so i would go with 16n 16 is the correct answer right so your thought process everything was there and i really loved that and so this is why a lot of the students even when they're like you know what they're reflecting they're reviewing the questions they're like i just didn't have the content knowledge i didn't have the content knowledge if you had the right thought process the content knowledge is the easy bit because you can always mm-hmm. learn it. You can always memorize it. But the practicing the thought process, even, even if you don't have the content knowledge, trying to think, what would I do if I had the right content knowledge? That's such an important skill because that's something you can practice on, on your diagnostic, on your full lengths, even when you don't have all the content areas filled in. So the correct answer in this case would be 16. We start with two nuclei each with 2N. So technically we're at 4N. We do this initial round of DNA replication. So now we're at 4N each in our two nuclei. So we're at 8N. We do this nuclear division. So we're just breaking apart the sacs into four nuclei instead of two. The 4N gets split evenly into 2N, 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 2N. So we're still at uh, 8N. Mm -hmm. And then the second round of DNA uh, replication, all those 2Ns become 4N. So in the end, we have four nuclei with four N each, the total ploidy would be 16 N. Yep. Got it. Simple math. Once you understand the concept behind it. Yeah. Got it. All right. Why don't you read the second question here and I'll try to. Amazing. Amazing. I like this one a lot. So the functions of the ESVs of Giardia most closely resemble what cell organelle? Lysosomes, A. B, Golgi apparatus. C, nucleolus or D, Centriole. Oh man! So going back to some basic cell biology here. Um, so the um, we're we're told here that ESVs, right? We highlighted ESVs, so we can go right right to that. Um, give the organism the ability to modify or partition cyst wall cargo during secretory transport and so i'm like okay transport 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 what is involved in transport that's that's what i come to and so i'm trying to remember um what is involved in transport and i go well nucleolus i don't think is involved in transport at (laughs) all that doesn't that doesn't ring any sort of bell um 
Centriole, I'm like, okay, Centriole, that's kind of uh, hanging out with the nucleus, doing stuff. That doesn't seem right. Uh, then I get to lysosome. Well, I should have started at lysosome because it's the, the top one there. Um, lysosomes to me, I'm like, oh, that's just what like breaks down everything, right? That's that just goes and and breaks down everything. I'm like, well, is that transport? Is that is that what that is? Um, and then Golgi, the Golgi apparatus. I'm like, well, the Golgi apparatus is like that's where it's packing stuff and transporting stuff. That's like the, 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 uh, Amazon warehouse of the, uh, new of the cell. I'm like, well, that's transport. That's it's logistics. It's like UPS. So I'm going to go with Golgi apparatus just cause like, I think that's where we're at. Couldn't have said it better myself, right? <laughs> that's the correct answer. B is the correct answer. It's the Golgi apparatus. And whether you kind of approach this question, you did it perfectly. We see the function of ESVs. Okay, well, we do need some sort of passage information. We're not expected to know ESVs or Giardia to begin with. So where is it? It's probably in the passage. We look at our highlighting, it mentions, okay, it's the ability to modify or partition cell wall cargo during secretory transport. If you paraphrase this, this is just like packing, modifying, changing as you send things off. The whole function of the Golgi apparatus, just like you said, it's the packing and sorting center. It's the place where you add things and remove things. It's like the Amazon. I always thought of it like the Canada Post, (laughs) but like same kind of thing, right? So I'm up in the north, like Canada Post, right? But it's the packing and sorting center. So that's absolutely correct. For the sake of completeness, lysosomes, just like you said, they break things down. They're little packets of like very, you know, destructive things. Think of it that way. The name itself, lys, lysosome, lysis means to break down. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Nucleolus, it's a center in the nucleus itself. It's really responsible for kind of like RNA, rRNA uh, transcription and processing, making those ribosomes and then centrioles. Those are like the fishing reels of the cell. When you're dividing, they're at the opposite poles and then the microtubules attach and things move along them. So excellent. B would be the correct answer here. All right. How are you feeling? God, stressed. Stressed. All I'm thinking about are those negative podcast reviews. Go, Dr. Gray doesn't know anything. He doesn't help at all. Um, They're yelling, the answer's B. The answer's B. Question eight. Given passage information, okay, so they want us to go to the passage, Giardia most likely transports which of the following proteins external to the organism itself? Mm. A, CWP3, B, histone H4, C, beta 13 n acetyl d galactosamine <laughs> or D-E-S-V. Mm. All right. So ESV are, are interesting because I'm like, well, that doesn't seem right because we were just talking about ESVs as like the thing that partitions and transports and, and, and these organelles aid accumulation and maturation of cis wall material. Uh, composed of these things that go into it, which CW3, one through three, which is answer choice A, complexed with the beta one, three, and acetyl D, uh, whatever is answer choice C. I'm like, well, hmm, if if A and C are packaged together, they both can't be right. <laughs> or or one of them can't be right, one of them can be wrong, potentially, as, as I'm reading that. So I'm like, just by process of elimination, a, C, and D are all kind of related. So I'm going to go with B just based on, on that. 
Fair enough. It's a good thought process. And like that process of elimination is really useful for answering questions. Unfortunately, unfortunately, (laughs) the correct answer in this case would actually be A. And so let's talk about it, right? I think using the same kind of logic, you're absolutely correct. If you're not sure, look at where we talk about transport. There's one line and you were almost there. The next line right there says CWM protein is eventually deposited in the plasma membrane. This is the part that we need to focus on because When we talk about which of the following uh, proteins would go external to the organism, the only way it goes external to the organism is it passes Mm. everything and ends up at the membrane so that it fuses and is shunted out. So we need to think of something that goes to the membrane, right? And we look at CWM. CWM is not in our answer choices, but we know that CWM is made up of this CWP1 in 3 proteins. It might be tempting to pick this this N-acetyl galactosamine thing, but... This is part of the cyst wall. So it's kind of like, it's it's a layer just within. It's not quite at the membrane. It's a layer just within. So if you think about it, it would actually be flipped in the bottom. It would never make it out to the actual extracellular space. In terms of ESVs, your thought was pro, like thought process was perfect. We just talked about it. It's the packing and sorting center. It can't actually be shunted out. Mm-hmm. Histones. If we think about histones, what do they bind? What do they bind? They like to bind DNA, right? They like to they like to bind. You know, um, it, it, the histone modifications can cause like winding or unwinding of DNA. Mm-hmm. Histones would be located in our nucleus, right? Yep. If they're located in our nucleus, they wouldn't be shunted out. But Darn excellent it. approach to this question. Yeah, yeah, and it it, it literally is very like right here <laughs> trafficking mm-hmm. of this to the cell surface. Uh, Blah blah blah. Um, mm. All right, bummer. I, I I tried to hack that one because yeah. I'm like, okay, it's a really good strategy. Yeah. Right. The 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 stress of the MCAT is like, I need to go fast. I need to go fast. So I tried to shortcut that. Going, uh, let me try. It. Let me see if it works. Yeah, no, it did. But definitely, there's a ton of questions that there's always an easy way. Always check to see if there's an easy way if you're not sure. Yeah. All right. Go ahead and read nine. Yes, absolutely. So question nine: With which of the following do the arginine side chains found on histone proteins most likely have the strongest interactions? A, thymine groups on DNA, B, adenine groups on DNA, C, phosphate groups on DNA, D, oxyribose on RNA. Which of the following do the arginine side chains found on histone proteins most likely interact? So you just mentioned histone and DNA. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to steal a little bit of that knowledge um, and get rid of answer choice D right off the bat because I'm like, oh, well, that's, that's the one that's uh, unlike the other. So um, thiamine, adenine, phosphate. So it's interesting. Two of these are kind of our DNA, right? If we think of CGAT kind of stuff. But phosphate groups is, are different. And I'm like, well, again, I'm trying to shortcut some knowledge. Can I, can I just look at these and go, I don't really know, but can I make some sort of educated guess? Do I remember anything about histone liking A or T, uh, thiamine or adenine too much? Well, A and T are going to be kind of together all the time because that's what pairs together. So that seems weird. So I'm going to go with C just because of that. 
flawless logic and excellent <laughs> execution of strategy, right? The correct answer is C. And I really love the way that you zoned in on T and A, like the, the basis, thiamine and adenine, because you're absolutely correct. This is one of those cases where because it's kind of like the same thing, mm-hmm. it can't be anything unique. If you have two things locked together, they can't both be true. Yeah. In this case, the actual science behind it, I always like to look at questions and paraphrase it into something simpler, right? Which of the following would arginine side chains, you know, on histone proteins most likely interact? Briefly, this just means like, what interaction is most favorable with arginine, right? And if I ask myself arginine, if I think back to my amino acids, arginine is one of those basic amino acids, which means at physiologic pH, it's going to be positively charged. What's a favorable interaction? The positive charge wants to interact with negative charges. So if I use that approach, I could say, okay, well, I look at my list, thiamine, adenine, phosphates, and oxyribose. Phosphates, if I remember like the structure of phosphates or remember what they roughly do, super electronegative, they often have like, you know, they're deprotonated form. So that's a negative charge. It wants to be next to a negative charge. Phosphate's the correct answer. But I love the way that you eliminated based on the RNA. You know, histones can mostly, especially in this case, if they're in like the nucleus, they're going to be associated with DNA. You also eliminated T and A simply because like, you know that they're going to be together and it's pretty much an equivalent answer. So you could also use process of elimination to get the fact that C would be the correct answer, phosphates. All right. I did it. I did it. (laughs) Question 10. The data in the passage suggests that which time period during incestation is the level of protein dropping most quickly? Mm. A, zero to two, HPIE, <laughs> hippie. Uh, yeah. uh, four to six, HPIE, 10 to 12, HPIE, or 12 to 14, HPIE. So we go to our graph, right? Because it says... Um, the, the data in the passage, and this is where our data is displayed here. And now I need to figure out what's going on. Uh, and so if I look at percentage of proteins here on the left, I see HPIE here. I see the legend. Uh, the darker one is going up, I'm assuming. Uh, it, but it wants us to know dropping down, potentially, if I read that correctly. Maybe. Um and we see four to six has the biggest going down. And so I just want to double check, am I reading that right? Um, or is it dropping most quickly is up? So let me see. Um, let me read here. Uh, regulation of CWP abundance within two-hour transition during the 14-hour incestation time course, HPIE, hours post uh, initiation of incestations, N equals total protein in sample. So uh, total protein in sample, if we look at dropping, so level of protein. So if N, let's look at this, if N is the total protein in the sample, do we look at just the ends going from number to number to number going? Okay, which which where which number drops the most? Uh, if I were to do that, it would be six to eight. So now I'm confused. <laughs> um, is it four to six or six to eight? Six to eight isn't an answer, so I'm going to go four to six. 
you worried me a little second with your <laughs> final like analysis there. So, but you're absolutely correct, right? And so sample size, just to clarify, N is always like the amount of things that you're going to look at. So what's in your group when you make these conclusions? N itself doesn't really tell you anything about results. It just says like, I did the study with 500 cysts, right? The N sample is you worked on 500 cysts, tells you nothing about what changed within the group. So in this case, we're talking the data in the passage, you know, looking at uh, which time period had the biggest drop in protein. I loved your approach. You went straight to the figure because this is the results. When we want results, we're going to look at data. We're going to look at figures. We came to this. And the other clue too is like this, this hippie thing, HPIE. Where did we see it? We only saw it in the figure. So go straight to the figure. In this case, just like you said, when we pay attention to our axes, percentage of proteins, okay, HPIE, we look at our legend up, not changed and down regulated. We see that in the four to six group, it has the highest amount of down regulation. We also look at our figure caption and it says regulation of CWP abundance. So if we have more down regulation, the percentage of proteins that are down regulated, if it's more down regulated, you have less abundance, therefore less proteins expressed. This is also another instance where you could use like which one is not like the others, right? If you look at C and D, so we look at the 10 to 12 and the 12 to 14, mm-hmm. how would you describe those? Are they like pretty different? Yeah, pretty much the same, right? So same kind of idea. You can get rid of both of them because they can't both be right. And then we look between zero and two and four to six, zero and two had an up regulation. There would be more protein, whereas four to six had less down regulation. Amazing. So uh, again, a good... I think uh, the whole point of this podcast and and how we are breaking down these questions is is really a show. Like it's been a long time since I've studied this material. <laughs> I, I don't come into these looking at the questions beforehand. I, I truly am just kind of going on the fly. Uh, and I'm sorry if that's frustrating for some of you that I, I don't remember some of the the basic uh, biology here. But I think the goal is to show that even without this information, I can still get to the right answer. This test is about thinking and analyzing, not about knowing. So hopefully this is is helpful. George, as, as you get to the end of a passage as we are here, what, mm-hmm. what are your uh, recommendations for uh, the, the end of passage, beginning of next passage kind of transition? Honestly, it can be as simple as like closing your eyes, taking like a five second breather, leave everything behind that you just read. You can't take it. It doesn't transfer, right? In the sciences, actually, the one thing is in the sciences, you might have some content knowledge given to you in a passage that you can use later. But for the most part, try not to worry too much about the last passage. Take a breath. If you flag some questions that you know, if you had more time for, you could work on, keep them in the back of your mind. If you have more time, you'll come back, but make sure you answer every question Never leave a question blank because even if it's the guest correct answer, you still get the point. You get no penalties for getting it wrong. So answer every question, take a deep breath, take that leap of faith and start the, the next passage with a fresh mind and approach. All right, so there you have it. BioBioChem Passage 2 from the Blueprint MCAT Half-Length Diagnostic. Go get that for free, blueprintmcat.com. And as we're recording this, as this is coming out, it's getting later in August of 2022, which means if you're going to take the MCAT in the beginning of 2023 to apply in 2023, it's time to start thinking about maybe that six-month Blueprint MCAT live online course. Go check it out, blueprintmcat.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast.
This is MedEd Media.